I gotta say, one of my favorite parts of training on Zwift is the community. Whether it's riding with new people you meet on the platform or riding with old teammates, the people that Zwift connects you with push you harder than you could ever push yourself, let alone when it's just you on the trainer, in your garage, or your pain cave somewhere. My next favorite part is the training. Training is a huge part of Zwift. There are literally hundreds of customizable training plans you can choose from. And every workout is an immersive experience that can take you from Zwift's world-class climbs to the streets of London, New York, and even to a new Japanese-inspired world. Those are just a few of the nine unique worlds you can explore. Many times, I find myself just riding around, checking out the sights and seeing new little Easter eggs they've hidden in the game. When I'm riding on one of the UCI championship courses or in the jungle on the gravel roads or inside a volcano, I'm just taking it all in. Time seems to fly by, but I still manage to get a great workout in every time. If you want to compete in races that put your training to the test and see if you're headed in the right direction, you can. There's a new event starting every five minutes, including massive group rides, races for every category, and time trials. Right now, you can join the Fun is Fast event series with training rides, races, and thousands of other riders from around the world to chase. It's really never been easier to find your fun training indoors. I love it. All you need to get started is a bike, a trainer, and the Zwift app. Get a free seven-day trial, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Zwift, where fun is fast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and straight fresh off the three weeks of Welta commentary, Mr. Jens Vogt. Jens, what's new? Well, yeah, busy for the last three weeks commenting on the Vuelta. It was a really interesting, exciting race, so I'm happy I was there to see it. I mean, in Berlin, but I was able to work on it. Um, apart from that, um, did catch up a little bit on jobs to do. Get my wife's bike a checkup. There was a piece broken. That's going to be replaced. My gravel bike has some problems and I would need uh, two new brake shifter levers. And since we had this chip stuck in the Suez Canal, the chain of the global delivery network is broken. So they said, eh. Not before Christmas, my friend. We're going to have your bike fixed. And it's like, ah, fortunately, I have one or two other bikes I can use. But that was a bummer. Oh, I tell you one thing. That's um, I'm glad that you're getting on your gravel bike, though, Yenzi. Maybe, maybe us talking about gravel so much has motivated you to get going again. I actually got to do another gravel event over the weekend, which was hella fun. We have this great... Uh, community of gravel racing up here uh, called Southeast Gravel. And I think there's another maybe two or three left this year, and uh, I'm going to do those as well. But it was a holiday weekend here. So, um, you know, we, we pulled old Mr. Christian Vanneveld straight out of the, the commentary box and got him out to the lake and 
had a little bit of fun out there. It was great to see him outside in the sunshine. But that whole thing, every time I ride my bike now, uh, especially in the gravel, I'm like, man, if I crash, I'm almost 50 years old. That's going to hurt. I don't want that. But if I crash and I break, I don't know, like you said, a shifter or a frame, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go to the bike shop and get another one. Because like you said, the, the, the wait time on, on components right now is unreal. I went in and tried to get new gravel tires and they said, yeah, <laughs> they started laughing at me when I said, can you just stick on another set of gravel tires here? And they're like, uh, yeah, we haven't seen that tire in months and it will be months until we actually see it. But uh, yeah, crazy, crazy world. But I'm just impressed that you just jumped right into those sort of like manual tasks. Um, I think if I was doing that, what you guys did for three weeks, I think I'd take a couple days and just sleep for a while. But uh, you're like the Energizer buddy. You, you guys did us good. But um, so yeah, today we, we don't normally do this, but like after a grand tour, we kind of wanted to just do a little recap of what we saw and especially of what you saw in the Vuelta, Yanzi. You were there each and every day watching every last kilometer. So yeah, we're not going to really have an interview today. Let's just dive into our Vuelta recap show. So Yenzi, after three weeks, every single kilometer, every single second, pre-shows, post-shows, what are your real major takeaways from the 2021 Tour of Spain? Uh, there's a few things I like. <clears throat> First, me personally, I liked the wonderful fairy tale style comeback of Fabio Jakobsen. Because at this year's Vuelta España, it was just a little more than just one year after a life threatening crash he had in Tour of Poland. And I mean, we all saw the images, and like for the first week, we just, oh, please survive. For another month, we were all just going, oh, please, just be able to have a normal life, be able to walk, be able to chew your own food. And a year later, he is back at the top of the world, taking in impressive style the green jersey, taking multiple stage wins. So I was super happy to see that, because in this harsh world, you don't see too many fairy tales come true, but this one is clearly fairy tale with a happy end. So that's my first happy takeaway. My second is Primoz Roglic and his team. They are just super strong and efficient. They never worked more than they should. They were clever. They were not too greedy and they were willing to give the jersey away. So they rode a pretty good race. Magnus Kurt Nielsen becoming a superstar with three stage wins, winning like a sprint out of a bigger group, winning out of a breakaway, almost won the TT on the last day. So he is uh, on the way to become a superstar. And my little uh, dark horse uh, tip, Intermarche 1T, taking the jersey with two different riders, winning a stage with Ryan Tarame for a team that goes there was a wild card well that is just super impressive i was super happy to see them performing and never be shy to show themselves wow yeah you definitely knocked uh some of my little hot topics right off the list there um but yeah i totally have to agree with you with that small 
Belgian team getting a stage win and then being in the jersey for what was that seven days uh yeah i think it was a week for iking the norwegian and then another one or two days for ryan tarame but he only lost the jersey because he crashed out of it just before the three kilometer mark he crashed out and lost time yeah so a stage win by ren tarame and eight days in red for a, a small team like that Twice taking the leader's jersey, um, that's fantastic. Um, the other thing that you mentioned was Jumbo Visma and Primos. You know, he comes, you know, he had his knocks in the Tour de France. He brings it back up for the Olympic time trial, um, obviously riding well, but it was a time trial, and he didn't really do that well in the road race. Then he goes and wins the first stage of the Vuelta, wins two stages, was absolutely dominant, never had a bad day, and then wins the final time trial. I mean, I have to admit, I thought that Jumbo Visma rode a perfect tactical race because it is the last Grand Tour of the season. Everyone is tired. You don't really have the motivation, morale, condition to get on the front and just ride from start to finish. But the way that he actually let the jersey go, not once but twice before he take took, you know, finally took mega control after stage 17 up to Lagos de Covadonga. To me, what could have what could teams have done differently to actually put them under a little bit more stress? Because it just seemed like they had an answer for everything. Breakaways were going way up the road with a lot of riders. And you can't control that. But it didn't seem like that bothered them at all. Well, I believe with uh, especially the bigger groups, like in terms of numbers, um, I believe the, the organizer must have been very, very efficient in pronouncing or announcing the numbers quick enough so they could all quickly in the car, adding up the numbers, go, yep, 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 they can go, they can go, they can go, they can go. And uh, yeah, they never panicked. Uh, they were one of the few teams finishing as a complete team with all eight riders taking the start, making it into the last day. Not to, I believe we had six teams left. They were complete after the 21 stages. So that helps a lot. None of them had a terrible fall. So they were all basically fully healthy, ready. And with a leader like Roglic, well, you grow. You grow with the strength of your leader. And even more shocking... Primoz Roglic, I believe there's at least two occasions where it looked like he didn't chase the winner hard enough and he finished second or third on the stage, where I think if he wanted to, he could have taken that stage as well. So there's two more stages he could have won, basically just if he wanted to. I mean, we've seen him. He's definitely one of the best stage racers ever in, in Grand Tours and one-week stage races. But the last couple years in the Vuelta, even though he won, he wasn't dominant, ultra-dominant. It looked like he was holding on by the skin of his teeth. But this year, from start to finish, there was no weakness, none. And like you said, I think he's learned from some of his mistakes of maybe chasing that guy down and getting that stage win, but then kind of flicking himself for for somebody that could possibly help him um, you know, towards the last week of the race. But I wonder what was going on through his mind through his mind in that last couple of days 
because he was so dominant on stage 17. And we've seen we've seen this before. And then he kind of he kind of folds there towards the end. But this time he he I just this guy is just so mentally strong. And not, you know, yes, physiologically talented and stuff like that, but he seems to learn from his mistakes and just keep getting better. And man, the only thing that's going to get in the way of this guy winning more and more races is that, you know, he's, he's getting older, but it's just great to see. Um, the other thing that was fantastic to see was Magnus Court from Team Education First Nepo. Um what a stud. I mean, he won three stages, stage six, um, stage 12, and then stage 19. And like you said, he almost won the time trial. That's what we call crazy gambas, crazy legs. To, ha to be able to win that many times and in the fashion that he did, especially those last two times when, hey, everyone was looking at him. Uh, tell me what clicked for Magnus Court that may have not clicked before. Well, to, um, for some teams, as tragic as it is for the leader to have to go, it seems like it liberates the other riders. Like we saw it at this year's Giro when um, for Brian Victorious, uh, Mikel Lander had to go. Caruso finished second in superb style with stage win and everything. Uh, this year again, in the Vuelta, Lander had to drop out And the team writes like free and Jack Haig finishes on the podium. I don't think Jack Haig would have made the podium with Landa still in the team. And so um, the team education or EF education Nippo, they lost Hugh Kasi as their leader. So they had to reinvent themselves. And that's where then if you have the, the class and the, the, the power uh, like Magnus Court had, you, you race to the challenge. You go, okay, guys. We can take this. And the, the misfortune of Hugh Carsey having to stop the race was the fortune for Magnus Court. So he was free to go on every single break. He wouldn't have to wait. He wouldn't have to ride tempo. He wouldn't have to protect his leader. So he could use all the strengths he would have saved for the leader for himself. And he saved the team. He saved himself. I mean, he is on the way to become a superstar. Three stage wins. Plus, he was hanging on to the hot seat in the TT until Olympic champion Primoz Roglic came in and beat him. He was basically the best of the rest in the TT. So I think we will see many, many more stage wins from him. I don't think he should try to develop into a Grand Tour rider, but he can win multiple stages at any given tour. Yeah, I... Uh... I think we're looking at the next world champion, but maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. But you said said something there with, you know, Jack Haig and Landa dropping out, and then Magnus Court and and Hugh Carthy dropping out. But one thing that I saw that changed in a negative way, maybe, was when Movistar lost Valverde to that crash on stage seven. There, I think the inverse was true, because there... Valverde is the the absolute rock of that team, and he was riding fantastic. He looked great. Uh, Enrique Mas had an amazing race. You know, Lopez was riding well, but when it gets down to the pointy end of the race, and the in the GC is on the line, I can't help 
but think that what happened there towards the end with, <laughs> I'm going to ask you that question later too, with, with uh, Superman Lopez just pulling the pin on the second to last stage. I don't see that happening if Valverde was there. What, what, is, what is your opinion? What do you think? Do you think that Valverde would have been able to right that ship and keep those guys calm and, and focused? Because I, I really do. Uh, I would think so too. Um, he was in really good shape. He was like hanging on to a really good top 10 position. Weren't he at the best? He were like third, fourth, and fifth overall. Lopez, Mas, and Valverde. Well, Valverde probably the, the, the weaker of the three, but he was definitely strong enough. And I strongly believe he would have been there when the split happened, when Roglic went away with. Jack Haig and uh, Gino Meda and uh, Enrique Maas followed. I believe in that moment Valverde would have been in that group and he could have, they could have, they would have reacted differently um, because I think Valverde would have just told Lopez, go, jump, jump as hard as you can. Don't look back. Jump there and go and get him. Even if he pulls Egan Bernal back up, who cares? Bernal is... Uh, um, behind Lopez, but Lopez could have saved his podium spot. Okay, now the million-dollar question, because like I told you, I was doing a gravel race, so I didn't get to watch that stage. And when we we're traveling home from the gravel race, George text, George Cappy texts me and says that Lopez dropped out. And I'm like, what, did he crash? He goes, no, he just dropped out. And I was like, no, 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 it's, it's got to be something. So the million-dollar question, Jens, what happened? I mean, I've, I've since then, I've read this and I've read that. But was this just a case of a rider just having it and, I don't know, just pulling the pin, you know, to spite his team? Or what, what was the backstory here? Why did he stop the race? Well, there's, there's multiple layers uh, to this. Well, first of all, if you have a two-rider strategy, both riders need to understand when it comes down to it, one sometimes have to completely sacrifice himself for the other. That's why you have two leaders to play the card, attack on the left, attack on the right, attack on the left, attack on the right. Only one attack goes away. It could be you or your friend and your team member, the other captain. So he wasn't ready to give up his third position. He wasn't ready to sacrifice himself for his second captain. Um... If he would have had the legs, he could have just jumped straight away on that climb just after them. I mean, come on, Bobby, you have been in races. I've been in races. If the leader in the leader's jersey follows a group and goes away and you on the podium, there's only one way to go, only one priority. You stick with the leader of the race because you want to protect, you want to protect your podium spot. So that was a mistake by him. On the other side, it does look to me, like they prefer Spanish riders to perform in the Spanish team Movistar. We had similar situations with Valverde, uh, sorry, with uh, Nairo Quintana. Um, and now it's another Colombian becoming the victim of the team tactics. So it's twice now. Um, maybe uh, there's a problem within the team that even though they say we treat everybody equal, we don't. Um, we had team tactics not working out for them a few times in other races as well. 
So I believe there is a problem within the team, the management, the organization, that they do not communicate their tactics well enough for every rider to understand. Um, that's that's another problem. And then I think he just he just lost the plot. If he would have just rode to the finish line, he would have still hang on to a very very respectable sixth place overall, right? And hey, I was never sixth overall in a Grand Tour. I would kill for top 10 in a Grand Tour. And he just goes and blows it in the wind. Plus, what I don't like or what I dislike the most, that is still points for the team. That's still 9,000 euros prize money. They were, they were down to five riders at that point. The other three, they were turning themselves inside out to protect the two leaders, Mars and Lopez, to bring him bottles, to give him clothes, to keep him out of the wind, to place him right before the mountain comes up. And then he just gives it up. I mean, hey, like Magnus Baxter always used to say, 9,000 euros prize money, it's better than a kick in the tees, isn't it? You just can't give it up. It's points for the team as well. So that's something, uh, hey, look, you, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and, and uh, be loyal. You can yell at them at night in the hotel and you can tell them all you want at night in the hotel when you talk to them. But out there, you do the job and at least you be loyal to the team. So it's not, ex it's not entirely his fault. It's the team as well, the race tactics, it's uh, the environment there. So it's, it's a little bit of a complicated story. And it didn't help that his wife answers on Twitter. His father-in-law gives an interview about it. Uh, you know, like everybody talks about it. It's like, no, 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 that's too much talking. Just go down, sit together. And once you leave that room, you come out with one statement signed by all of you. Right? And then after that, it's bzz, bzz, zip it. You don't talk about it anymore. This is just a nightmare for everyone. I mean, the press people must go, oh my God, how, how are we going to solve this? Are they all stupid? So it's, it's yeah, different stories within the story. And, and you're right. We've seen this before. I mean, the fantastic documentary on Netflix about Movistar. I have to wonder if, if they are doing season three or, you know, the third Uh, episode during this Vuelta, if they are filming, and if that had anything to do with it, because I, uh, you know, you and I back in CSC in 2004, we had a film crew following us around, and it it changed the the dynamics of the team sometimes, you know, because we'd have a microphone on or we knew the camera was there. But like Netflix, I mean Netflix, I mean this is top of the top, and these guys are fighting for this, and they're arguing, and it's being filmed. Talk about having to go into a room and come out all with the same story. If they did film this and it is going to be, you know, another another season, they better get on it. Because let's face it, we are super complimentary of Jumbo Visma. We're super complimentary of Bahrain Victorious. We're super complimentary of so many other teams. Multistar had a fantastic Vuelta going. They were going to be second and third. Uh, they had just won a stage with Lopez. They they weathered the storm of their leader, Valverde, uh, crashing out on stage seven. And now it just feels like it was for nothing. Like we're talking, instead of talking about Moss's amazing second place, because I tell you, he had a great race. There's no doubt about it. He still needs to work on his time trialing. That's That's a given. But he was always there as one of the strongest guys going uphill. But we're not talking about that. Now we're talking about 
a kid having, you know, some sort of tantrum. And Yenzi, I finished Grand Tours with Broken Bones. Every single person. We had Lawrence Tendam on. And he said, you don't stop the Tour de France. You don't stop a Grand Tour. I mean, you sacrificed your whole season, you know, and three weeks of your time that you just don't stop, especially what, 25K from the end of the second to last day, all you have to do is a time trial tomorrow? If you want to be, you know, have a little, you know, baby session or a little scream fest, go piano in the time trial and get out of the time limit, you know? But I don't understand why a car from Movistar actually let him in the, fr- in the seat. I would have kicked him out. I would have locked the doors. I would have rolled up the windows and I, I, I would have driven away. And he'd have no choice but to, to to continue. So I mean, dang, it's it's the only thing I can even think of that's even close to this, and this is a long distance second, is when Rohan Dennis, uh, the day before the time trial in the Tour de France a couple of years ago, just pulled over the side of the road and and that was that. He would have won that time trial the next day, but okay, you never know. This guy would have finished in the top six, like you said, of a grand tour. And he just pulls the pin. I don't, I, I don't get it. But man, these guys are under so much pressure. And you're so close to the end. I'm sure things are getting political. But you just signed a contract extension with this team. I mean, you said terrible things about this team in the past. They, give you, they let you onto the team. They signed you to an extension. And this is the way that you repay them? I'm sorry. I got a problem with that, Yenzi. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, like some unconfirmed rumors said, um, there was some uh, uh, salary discussions and contract discussions still going on and a little bit of unhappiness there on whatever side. So maybe that plays in there as well, that he was just frustrated or that he felt let down or like that he felt, look, look, look I don't get the support of the team I deserve. Um, and maybe he thought he should be the leader because he is a stage winner and uh, maybe he felt he is stronger than actually Enrique Maas. It's, um, hopefully we will have like the truth, the whole entire story coming out and we can all read it all up what actually happened there. But yeah, I'm with you, Bobby. There's no way I would let him in the car. I would have, tr- I would have thrown two fresh bottles out of the car and go, there's your water. I see you at the finish line. And, I, and now also to look into the future. What happens next year in a big race? Are the riders going to come up to him and go, hey, uh, listen, Miguel Angel, uh, today it's sunny. Are you going to give up or you want to finish? Should we risk working for you or should we save some for ourselves, right? Or hey, um, the guys over there, they said they don't like your bike. Are you going to cry now and don't start the race? Like, how are you going to work with him in the future? I actually think at least they thought about it. They said, look, Miguel Angel, you're a free agent. Uh, feel free to find a new team. I don't see us working together next year. How, how would that be possible? How can you ever put your trust on him? If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get a hard copy of Valley News magazine, choose two books a year from VeloPress, Access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine, and Backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events as well 
as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and you make a good deal great. Moving on to some more positive stories here. You know, we, we've already mentioned Fabio Jakobsen coming back, winning three stages, taking the green jersey. Um, we've already given mad props to Jack Hag, uh, who at 28 years old, this is his first year on a new team. He goes in, you know, crashes out of the Tour de France really early, and then goes to the Vuelta and comes away with a podium finish, which is amazing. Um, Michael Storer. I mean, wins two stages and then the the King of the Mountain title. Another great story from the Vuelta. Uh, Gino Matter, you know, the guy that we talked about way back in Perry Nice when, you know, he was going to win the stage and then Primos kind of came over the top of him and rolled him. And, you know, poor guy, you know, 24 years old, wins the, the white jersey over Egan Bernal, who basically had that the entire race. And, you know, Bahrain uh, victorious winning the Team GC. There were some good stories. And then the American contingent that was there, we had six Americans in, in the race, uh, that started the race. Sepp Kuss, I mean, total stud, winds up getting eighth overall uh, at the service of Primos all the time. That Lagos de Covadonga stage when, when Primos won and he was second was kind of the highlight. That, that was where the race was won. That was where it was like, okay, back of the bus, boys. I'm going to be in the yellow jersey or in the red jersey. Um, Chad Haga did a great time trial, finished fifth in the last time trial. So, I mean, that's really good progression, you know, with the world's coming up. Lawson Craddock, I mean, he did a really good time trial there at the end. He was 13th. But most importantly was just the way that he went all in for his teammate and you know, when, when Magnus Court won his third stage, that was due to Lawson Craddock. So Lawson, thumbs up, man. We got to get you on the podcast. Don't forget about old Joe Dombrowski. He was third, uh, or, I'm sorry, second on the third stage of the Vuelta. So he, he, uh, he got his name in some lights a little bit. Quinn Simmons, 20 years old, not only finishes his first Grand Tour, but actually got his first podium in a Grand Tour at the age of 20. So um, a lot of good stuff going on. And then, unfortunately, we had uh, Kiel Reinen, who had to stop after, after uh, stage number 15. But I guarantee that was for a reason. That wasn't because you were just having a, a moment of, uh, you know, a little mental milkshake moment with, with your team. So there was so much good stuff at the final grand tour of the season. But leads me into my final question, Yenzi. You know, these Slovenian guys are pretty dang dominant at what they're doing right now. I mean, if it's a Grand Tour, it's either Pogacar or Roglic. But in this scenario, because, okay, Roglic wasn't in the Tour, he didn't win the Tour, Pogacar did. But in this scenario, and moving forward to further Grand Tours, if Primos is as dialed as he, as, as he was during this Vuelta, not only with his time trialing, his climbing, his tactical ability, and his ability to stay calm. How 
could another team have beaten him during this year's tour of Spain? I mean, he had all the boxes checked. And like you said, it always looked like he was feathering it a little bit instead of trying to be over-dominant. But what would have changed this tour of Spain to put Primos on the back foot a little bit and give some somebody else, some of these other G- GC contenders, an advantage? Well, as uh, silly as it might sound, the only thing that could have changed things a little bit around would have been the presence of Tadej Pogacar in the same race. Um, the other riders, they were clearly um, not good enough, not strong enough. They lost in the TT and they lost more in the mountains. So where else could he beat him? He got a strong team around him to protect him in the crosswinds. So they couldn't surprise him there. They were super attentive. Uh, so at the Primas Roglic in this Vuelta España, he was unbeatable by everybody present at the race. None of the riders in this race could have done anything. You could only race for second place, uh, which Enric Maas did fantastically. Jack Haig, what a great way. What a Well, he is not a spring chicken anymore, but what a newcomer finishing on a podium. He had a strong year as well. He was really good in the Dauphine Libre already this year and now podium in a Grand Tour. But they raced for second place and I believe, uh, especially after the Covadonga stage, the uh, Lake, uh, Lago Covadonga, they knew it. I mean, I knew it from a thousand miles away and they knew it as well that he only raced for second place. And um, some uh, uh, um, wise or funny last words here. I feel sorry for the riders they have to race at this um, at this time. It's like you race in the Eddie Merckx times. You know you're only second best and there's nothing, nothing you can do to beat Pogaccia or Roglic. And to make it even more funny, um, Matej Mohoric, another Slovenian, he wins at least one or two stages every time as well. So, um, yeah, they are the dominant nation of cycling in the moment. And it's pretty tough to ride against them because since uh, the young Pogacar showed up on the scene and he is at a race where he goes, I want to perform, nobody was able to beat him except maybe in the Tour of the Bus country, Primoz Roglic. And also Roglic, if he is in shape and he is there to perform, Team Ineos, never ever managed to beat him face to face. They had to wait until he crashes out or something else happens or if he or if he doesn't take it serious. And then not only they win all the Grand Tours, one is third at the Olympics in a road race, the other one wins the time trial in the Olympics. Then didn't they both win Liege by now? Didn't yes. Roglic win it once and Pogacar as well? It's like, what else is left? There's nothing left for a normal, good, strong bike rider. What a legend Enric Maas would be in a normal world. Or, or Carapaz. Or, you know, they would be absolute legends of the sport. They're still superb riders. But they're all overshadowed by Pogacar and Roglic. And I don't see how this is going to change. You mentioned it before a little bit, Bobby. Roglic is getting older. I think he got two more years left to win the Tour. Then he's getting too old and the young kids like Pogacar, they're just getting stronger and better. Um, you know, even, even Bernal, still next year, he's still able to race for the white jersey 
for the best young pro. Isn't that mad? He had five grand tour starts. He won two of them. And he is still only 24 years old. He can race another year for the white jersey. So there's another future talent, superhero coming up. So for Primoz to win the Tour de France, he got two more years left. And then I believe his body will not work in the way he wants to anymore. I can't believe that it took this long to actually say Team Ineos Grenadiers or Egon Bernal. Like we, it, it's just like we didn't even mention them until just now. So two last questions. One, Primos at his best. Pogachar at his best. Bernal at his form that he had in 2019. Who wins the next Grand Tour if they all come in with that sort of form? Pogachar from this year in the Tour. Roglic this year in the Vuelta. And Bernal from 2019 when he won the Tour. I would go for Pogacar. He's just natural talent, class, cleverness, and he's just the devil may cry attitude, you know? Um, I think Bernal, he relies on a team, on a strong team. Um, and uh, Pogacar, plus 30 years, you know, he, uh, he had a few crashes this year, so he might go a little slower on the downhills, a little like less risk-taking. I mean, you saw how happy he was with his child on the arm, on the podium. I think he's, he's a great family man, but that's not an advantage, an advantage to be a, a pro cyclist who has to go downhill at 50 or 60 miles an hour. So I would go out of these three, I would go for Pogacar, but mostly because his devil-may-care attitude. I, I would have to agree with you there. I mean, Jumbo Visma is reloading for next year already. You know, they've, they've got Rowan Dennis going to their team, for goodness sake. I mean, UAE Emirates is hiring everybody. I mean, they're really doing their homework. Ineos Grenadiers, okay, you got all these leaders, but I see guys leaving the team, not necessarily guys coming to the team. So that'll be interesting because I like what you said about that they have a strong team, but they don't have the strongest rider anymore. And now these teams are beginning to realize we have one or the other of the strongest riders on the planet, we need to up our game behind them. So they're taking a little bit of a page out of the the old Sky Ineos Grenadiers book here. Um, but man, it's it's just going to be exciting to see all these guys uh, race together at the, at the biggest races of the year again. One last question, Jens. The world championships are coming up here in two, three week, weeks. Who... And who is your prediction for the time trial? Will Primos be able to carry on this amazing form that he's had since before the Olympics to win the time trial? And then who are your favorites for, for the road race? For the TT or the ITT, I believe, yes, Roglic, if he trains for a few more days or weeks, I think he is the man. Don't forget... He crashed out of Paris-Nice, had to take a break early in the year. Then he didn't race after the Classics for a month or six weeks. He didn't race. He trained hard, but he didn't race. He only did 10 days of the Tour. So pure race days. He didn't have too many yet. So there's a, there's a good reason to believe he is not overly tired, even though it's late in the year, late in the season. 
just on race days. He didn't have too much for different reasons. So yes, I believe he is the man for the individual TT. Hopefully, great battle between him and Gunnar. The road race, it's tough. I mean, look at um, defending champion Alaphilippe. He said, nah, I sacrificed the Olympics. I want to go and focus on defending the World Championships title. Um, so that's 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 a tougher call, Magnus Court Nielsen. Definitely, you gotta you gotta name him. Um, it depends how fast the race goes. Well, I would I would see I would see Ala Philippe on a podium again. But what about Wout Van Aert? Ah, oh, there's another one. Yes, come on, give him a little love. This guy this guy wins, you know, just everything all year long. Takes a little bit of a break, doesn't do the Vuelta, wins the first stage of the Tour of Britain. I mean, I mean, it's it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, if I would have to put my own money into the game, here is my podium for the World Championships. New World Champion, Wout van Aert. Second place, Julian Alaphilippe. Third place, Magnus Kurt Nielsen. That's my podium for the upcoming World Championships. Basta. That... that There you go. World according to Yenzi. Results according to Yenzi. Get your bets in now. I'm sure that's a nice little trifecta. Pay off pretty well there, Yenzi. Mm. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to our Vuelta recap. You know, we we don't do the stage-by-stage race results. You guys know who won what stage and by how much. But, um, yeah, just kind of interesting to hear your take on some things, Yenzi. And um, thank you for for being effectively the guest because you were the in total encyclopedia of this whole thing. So uh, thank you very much, buddy. It was great. You had the right questions. You get the best out of me. So we are, as always, a great team. Also, Mark, people didn't hear your voice, but us three, we are a good team, like always. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show is a Vela News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. I gotta say, one of my favorite parts of training on Zwift is the community. Whether it's riding with new people you meet on the platform or riding with old teammates, the people that Zwift connects you with push you harder than you could ever push yourself, let alone when it's just you on the trainer, in your garage, or your pain cave somewhere. My next favorite part is the training. Training is a huge part of Zwift. There are literally hundreds of customizable training plans you can choose from. And every workout is an immersive experience that can take you from Zwift's world-class climbs to the streets of London, New York, and even to a new Japanese-inspired world. Those are just a few of the nine unique worlds you can explore. Many times, I find myself just riding around, checking out the sites and seeing new little Easter eggs they've hidden in the game. When I'm riding on one of the UCI championship courses or in the jungle on the gravel roads or inside a volcano, 
I'm just taking it all in. Time seems to fly by, but I still manage to get a great workout in every time. If you want to compete in races that put your training to the test and see if you're headed in the right direction, you can. There's a new event starting every five minutes, including massive group rides, races for every category, and time trials. Right now, you can join the Fun is Fast event series with training rides, races, and thousands of other riders from around the world to chase. It's really never been easier to find your fun training indoors. I love it. All you need to get started is a bike, a trainer, and the Zwift app. Get a free seven-day trial, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Zwift, where fun is fast.